the first May edition of BetQLU presented by BetQL. Download the BetQL app today. Bet smarter and beat the books. And BetQL users can now access their own betting records, win percentage, and rankings within the BetQL community with the new My Stats feature. See personal betting history yesterday, this week, this month, all time, whatever. And per sport performance and route to becoming a better better, more informed better as well. And you can download the BetQL app today to do just that. Myself, at Eli Herskovich on Twitter. Tom Casali, at the Tom Casali on Twitter, the managing editor of BetQL. I'm really just a great all-around guy. Tom, you haven't been on the podcast since you hit the Baylor team total over. So take the people back to the national title game for a couple seconds. Well, yeah, you know me. I like to leave on a high note. So uh, <laughs> the more I talk, the worse it's going to get. So uh, one, one, once we hit that easy bet, I was done. I, I thought Baylor was uh, the best team all year. Uh, I didn't know if they were going to beat Gonzaga. I certainly didn't think they were going to beat them that handedly. But the two great teams, and, uh, you know, hey, it, it's interesting because uh, I don't know what your thoughts are. Do you think Baylor will be as good this year? Because the Zags look like they're going to be just as good, if not even better, which is scary. Yeah, we'll talk to John Rostein about that. College basketball insider, one of the best in the business, going to join us later on in the podcast. And we'll hit on Chet Holmgren, the number one recruit, the number one overall recruit going against Zaga, obviously losing Jalen Suggs. But like Tom mentioned, still probably top two or the number one team in college basketball going into next season, even though what Kansas and Kentucky added this past week. And we'll get into that as well. But Tom... We were texting on Sunday because people may not know this. Tom lives in New York. I'm back home in Chicago. And I've never seen Tom in person. We do a podcast together. We've known each other for, I want to say, three years. But Tom and I have never met up. Where do you live in New York? Because I'm going to be in Manhattan, the Manhattan Soho area, in a few weeks. And apparently we can't meet up because you're just too damn far. Yeah, I live in upstate, like real upstate, the, not, the, not the fake upstate that's like an hour <laughs> from New York. I, I live in the middle of nowhere, like past Albany, New York. I, I'm between Albany and Syracuse. So th- those are the two big cities between me. So, yeah, I'm in the middle of nowhere. So actually going to New York City and going to Philadelphia isn't that big of a difference for me. It's, uh, it's about the same distance. I mean, I can go hop on a train. And, and, and get there but uh even that i have to drive like an hour and a half away so it's a pain uh, luckily i don't like to leave the house or go to big cities so it kind of works out well for me it works yeah it kind of does you're a, a little bit of a, a turtle when you want to watch <laughs> sports over the summer and even though it's it's not college basketball obviously we're we're a ways away from that you're betting on the stanley cup playoffs what was the the city name that you mentioned though that i thought was just completely made up and then i looked it up and it turned out it was real Oh, uh, it's uh, it's Catskill, it's Monticello, it's it, it's in the that, that's that's New York for you, baby. Um, we have to drive to a sports book to to bet, and our sports books are in Schenectady, New York, the armpit of America, and <laughs> Catskill, New York. That is way off. I mean, it's not like you get off the main highway and there's Catskill, New York, right? You have to drive all all this way, and that's the only way we can place a bet. Luckily, though, it sounds like we're going to be getting sports betting in three to four years. That's, uh, you know, New York with their aggressive uh, rollout plan. Let's get it out before <laughs> the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl, I mean, <laughs> every other state has it out before the football season. So at least it's coming here, and then I won't have to drive all this way to bet $11 on Minnesota to win the Big Ten. 
Yeah, that was uh, – I remember when Marcus Carr was hitting some big shots. They beat Iowa. I think it was on, on Christmas of Minnesota. Look live for looking, a Looking good for a while. <laughs> but, uh, that, that's the story of my bets. When uh, If I ever write a book, it, it'll be titled, It Was Looking Good for a While. That sounds like a very intriguing <laughs> title name for a book. Very, very original. I, I will say, though, I, I, I did give it a thought for a second to come up by you. But then I looked at the train schedule, and it's three hours and forty minutes away from downtown New York. Is that what they call it, downtown New York, Manhattan? So oh. yeah, it's like if you were gonna, if it, we were gonna do a couple day thing, it would be easier because we'd probably have to like stay overnight somewhere. We'll we'll figure it out at some point in our lives. We'll go to a sports book at some point. But we're gonna be joined next by one of the best college basketball analysts around. His name is John Rostein from CBS Sports, and he joins us next on the BetQLU podcast. Odyssey is here, cheering on your teams right alongside you. Sometimes that's your favorite team, and sometimes it's the rival team. But you bet them to win. Let BetQL's expert analysis lead you to more cheering and more winning. BetQL looks at every game and every potential bet and ranks them on a scale of one to five stars. Their five-star bets are your most profitable opportunities and have shown real proven results. Get better at betting. Download the BetQL app or visit BetQL.com. BetQL, an Odyssey company. Back here on the BetQLU podcast, myself, Eli Herskovich, and the one, the only, Tom Casale at the Tom Casale on Twitter. But we got to bring down one of the best college basketball insiders around and one of the most well-connected college basketball names in the space. His name is John Rostein on Twitter, at John Rostein. Of course, CBS Sports College Basketball Insider, College Hoops Today podcast, and collegehoopstoday.com. First question from me, John, is how much are you sleeping in May? You know, you're getting your rest in. I'm not going to lie. This is the type of month where you can rest and recalibrate. And obviously, I think really start to feel like you're one with the American people again. A lot of people were watching, you know, the NBA playing game last night or making other plans for maybe trips to the Vineyard or out east to the Hamptons. I found Heat, which I haven't watched in years, on digital cable last night. Pacino, De Niro, such an underrated flick. And it's ironic to me that Pacino is playing the lead as a police officer. So I'm sure, Eli, when you thought about potential answers to your first question, that wasn't one of them. So we're the way I sit right now, we're only going to go up from here. It was up there, John. It was up there. This is interesting because Tom and I were trying to plan this trip out, John. I mentioned to you that I'm going to be in New York in a few weeks. And Tom is in upstate New York, like three hours and 40 minutes away. Won't come down to Manhattan and Soho. Wants me to come up to some city in New York where it sounds like a made-up name. I I think we both should be a little disappointed at Tom. Where is Tom in upstate New York? Because I went to college in upstate New York. Where'd you go? I went to Ithaca College. Okay, my buddy went to Ithaca College. I'm around Amsterdam, New York. So you're yeah. in between like Ithaca and Albany. In Albany, yep, yep. My yeah. uh, my buddy went to Ithaca, and my other friend went to uh, Cortland. So I'm familiar with that area. I will say that I have uh, I probably drank at least one beer beer on the Ithaca campus in my life. <laughs> yeah, I mean for Eli, just so you know, like Amsterdam to you know Soho isn't exactly like just getting on the subway and waiting a right. couple. Of times. That is a legitimate, legitimate road trip. You have to be all in. I remember, guys. This is one of the more, I remember this is early in my years in broadcasting. I hadn't, before I went to CBS Sports in 2010, I, my first television job was I worked for three years for a regional television network in New York at the MSG network and was their college basketball insider. And that was in the peak of the Big East when the Big East was the old Big East. But I remember 
I was teaching a course at Ithaca, a sports media mini mini course, and I was in Ithaca for like four or five days, like teaching the course. And I hadn't obviously gotten full time yet at MSG, and they wanted to use me on their nightly show about something. And I remember I taught the course. I drove from Ithaca to Manhattan. It was four hours. I, you know, like probably like went into like a bathroom in Penn Station, like shaved, <laughs> went, didn't hit, crashed for a couple hours on like my brother's couch and drove back and taught the course the next day at like 830. So I've lived that. So, you know, Tom, for everything that you're like anticipating doing, don't feel any guilt. <laughs> Thank All you. right. John won't take my side. This interview can't get any better. I mean, he brings up the movie Heat, which is a classic. He's talking classic. about Ithaca, New York. I mean, this is as good as it's going to get, I think. This shows age gap here. I'm about to be 27. Yeah. Tom is in his 40s. So we got we got a little disparity there, a little disparity. Yeah, yeah but there's Tom, no way you've ever seen Heat. Yeah, but, but Tom, I will say this. If there's one thing that can get Tom to make the drive, it would be for some really, really good pizza or really, really good, good Italian food. Because look, and I, you know, I had a great experience at Ithaca College. I spent time in upstate New York. I was in Syracuse. You might as well be in like, you know, Illinois or Indiana when you're trying to get good Italian food or good red sauce in upstate New York. You you find a good pizza in upstate New York. And I mean, you'll, you'll drive hours to get it. You've kind of feel like Ray Liotta in the last scene of Goodfellas. You send out for, you send out for spaghetti and meat sauce. You get egg noodles and ketchup. <laughs> that's upstate new york that's right that's right so john i guess tom will not be joining me in manhattan but if you had some good italian stops i actually see you tweet this a lot that you've never been to europe but you think never italian been. food in new york is very or it's, it's better apparently that it, that italian food in italy so the, why don't the, you explain the, that the best restaurants in manhattan and you have to obviously know where to go and you got to plan ahead for me, from the people that I've talked to who I think, you know, have a very, very balanced and objective point of view, would agree could go obviously toe for toe with anything in Europe. I'm hoping at some point I find out and I'm gonna, when I get to Europe I and mean, people say, oh, well, it's so fresh. And I was like, I get that. But are we really going to do a six hour like plane ride, you know, plus obviously a little bit of a trip to find like pasta that's a little bit fresher. I mean, you know, asking to pick between your favorite restaurants in Manhattan is probably like asking parents to pick between their children. I think there's so many different options. And, you know, as I've gotten older, you appreciate, you know, I think a broader palette. Like I love obviously, you know, a great Asian meal. Like I could get at Philippe Chow. I love a good fresh Greek meal that I could get at a place like Avra, you know, blue ribbon fried chicken makes an unbelievable, you know, fried chicken dish with obviously fries or biscuits, which are incredible. You know, there's a lot of people too that enjoy the sushi scene and they love going to check out catch and the meatpacking. The steakhouses are second to none, but you know, Italian food and pizza are always going to be the best on the Island of Manhattan. As far as the greater United States go, obviously there's places you know, downtown that you go to, you know, Little Italy is something that if you're coming to New York, you know, you can experience. But on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, where I live, you know, there's three places that stand out among, um, you know, from um, the rest. And Elio's on 85th and 2nd, you know, Tom Selleck's eating in there three, four nights a week while he's here doing Blue Bloods, Wednesday night's veal meatball night. Primola on 64th and 2nd to me has always had the best entrees in the city. You know, I was somebody for years, guys, who... You know, I'm obviously a high-level workout guy, but, you know, I'm, I'm built more like an offensive guard than I prefer an offensive tackle than I am for, like, a wide receiver. So I've always <laughs> had to watch my pasta intake. But, you know, what I've done is, you know, I've really tried to work out harder because I have more time in the offseason. And then on the weekends, you want to obviously enjoy a good cheat meal. So a couple of weeks ago, my fiance and I went to Primola, and 
you know, they we split three pastas. They had a Paglio and Ifieno, and they also had, we had a Orecchetti Amartraciana, and we had a Pesto with a Gnocchi, I believe. I have the pictures. I tweeted them. And just the combination of the three sauces were just incredible. You know, the the Orecchetti Amartraciana was just tremendous. Like, it's hard to say that. Orecchetti Amartraciana. The three sauces were, you know, were just tremendous. The Amatraciana sauce was just out of this world. They also have the best grilled calamari and tomato in the city. So, you know, that's one. And then Campagnola is a place that people like to obviously sample because that's an Upper East Side staple. You know, Andre Agassi and Brooke Shields went there for years when they were dating. If you're in New York, you want to eat Italian food. A lot of people want to go to Campagnola. There's also an interesting place on 57th and 6th, Quality Italian Steakhouse. You can get steak, you can get Italian. But this place actually brings out as an appetizer a piece of chicken parmesan as a pizza. It's a chicken parm pizza. But yeah, but there's so many great spots. You know, it's again, and, and I think you, you know, want to keep trying them as best you can. Also in Brooklyn, Lilia is second to none. They have all these different types of pastas. So yeah, I mean, really like, you know, you guys know me, I'm pretty much just trying to forecast what next season's going to look like from a roster perspective. I think, you know, when I'm on these walks and runs about conference breakdowns and then other than that, just really working out and thinking about places to eat. Well, Tom sounds like we could have a pretty good double date at one of these it, spots. You might have got me to New York city with that chicken parm pizza. I mean, that sounds fantastic. The chicken parm pizza is life altering. It's like TSA. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we'll see if I add up to that when I go to the flight to New York. Let's get over to college basketball, like you were mentioning, John, and the big news earlier this week. First off, Severe uh, Wheeler goes to Kentucky. The Georgia transfer, they also get Ty Ty Washington in the mix there, too, the four-star point guard who decommitted from Creighton. But then to top that off, another blue blood adds another star guard. Remy Martin transfers from Arizona State over to Kansas. Between the two names, between Wheeler and Martin, and between the two schools, who's had the better offseason so far? Well, you know, I think Remy Martin's addition for Kansas is more impactful than obviously, you know, what Kentucky did getting Xavier Wheeler because, you know, Remy Martin's a player that, you know, we have seen in the NCAA tournament multiple times in, in his career. Remy Martin's a player that's been an all-Pac-12 first-team selection. And look, Xavier Wheeler statistically put up great numbers last year at Georgia. Nobody's denying that, but... His team was 14 and 12. And look, Georgia, I thought, had an overachieving type season last year. There's no doubt about it. But now you're in a position where you go into the fishbowl. And look, I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago. Kentucky has definitely gotten older on the perimeter. They've become a better shooting team. They're a more skilled team than they were last year. But look at what we've seen from the rest of the SEC in terms of roster upgrades during the offseason. And I think that's what the transfer portal has allowed really this year. I mean, we've seen Arkansas add multiple key transfers. Chris Likes, Audis Tony, and also obviously one mid-major player of influence. They've also added Jackson Robinson from Texas A&M. Mississippi State, who again, nobody is really talking about, but has added a good player from NC State and Shaquille Moore. And they also added DJ Jeffries from Memphis and Garrison Brooks from North Carolina, who is the ACC preseason player of the year, you know. So what I'm curious is we got to take a step back right now. How would we be talking about Kentucky's offseason if they added DJ Jeffries and Garrison Brooks? I mean, what Mississippi State did, putting those two guys around Iverson Molinar and Tolu Smith, who's the leading rebounder last year in the SEC, that makes them a formidable team. Auburn's added Walker Kessler, you know, 
You also look at what we've seen. Alabama added a very good player from Furman in Noah Gurley, and Will Wade lost a lot, obviously, from last year's team that went to the round of 32, lost to Michigan. But again, look at what they've brought in. Xavier Pinson, starter for Missouri last year on an NCAA tournament team. Adam Miller, five-star recruit, was a starter on an Illinois team that was a one seed in the NCAA tournament. And they've also added a five-star freshman in Efton Reed and a player in Tari Eason at Cincinnati who – you know, I might have been you know, only a couple of people who were streaming those games in the non-conference, but every time I watched him in league play and in the non-conference, to me, this is a player that I think in time has a chance to be an all-conference caliber player at the four spot. Skilled, has a great feel for the game, a great IQ. So I know that we're going to focus on Blue Bloods and their additions more than anything else because obviously you know, Blue Bloods are always going to be obviously a major topic of the sport. But I think, you know, when you look at really everything right now from a personnel perspective, I think we got seven or eight really good teams in the SEC. Yeah, John, you kind of, I was going to ask you about the SEC, so you kind of already answered that for me. But the yeah. one team I bet right after the season was Arkansas at 25-1 yeah. to win it all. I thought that Musselman would get some transfers, and boy, did he. And I think, you know, uh, Amude and uh, Tony being big, ap- big and athletic really fit their system. So my question for you is, do you see Arkansas as a legitimate national championship contender with the guys they brought in? I think it's to be determined. You know, we got to see how pieces fit. I mean, you know, one of the things that I think was pretty, you know, apparent during Chris Likes' his career at Miami was he was a two and a one's body. So does Eric Musselman maybe move him off the ball a little bit? You know, Audis Tony, if we're going to be fair, we were just talking about it with Xavier Wheeler, wasn't in a situation at Pitt where his team went to the NCAA tournament. How does he handle now maybe taking a little bit of a lesser role, but being on a little bit of a better team? How does Arkansas's returning players develop? I'll tell you guys, you know, nobody talked about it that much during the run to the Elite Eight. Who made more non-scoring big plays in the NCAA tournament than Jalen Williams? Jalen Williams, to me, was a terrific utility player for Arkansas this past season. Obviously, you know, they're going to, bring back some other players as well. Devontae Davis, a very good player who made a big shot in the NCAA tournament. So I think right now, guys, if you're asking me to forecast things, I like the makeup of Alabama. I like the makeup of Arkansas at the top of where things are right now in the SEC. And then I think, you know, Kentucky and Tennessee are right behind them. I mean, look, I mean, you know, we've talked so much over the years about, you know, Kentucky and five-star point guards. Tennessee's bringing in Kennedy Chandler. And again, they have guys back. Josiah Jordan-James, Santiago Viscovi, John Fulkerson, those guys have tangible college experience. Those guys, Victor Bailey, you know, deserves to be in that mix as well, you know, have mileage on their tires. And look, I mean, we saw in the NCAA tournament, that's what equates to winning. I mean, let's face it, Baylor, Gonzaga, Houston, and UCLA all had returning personnel from the year before. Now, there was a couple of tweaks in a lot of different instances. Obviously, Gonzaga added Jalen Suggs, and you know, UCLA added Johnny Juzang. But large percentages of the teams that went to the Final Four, four all had returning personnel. And that's why I think when we're evaluating things for next season, and you know, now we're doing it almost every day, 
Just remember that returning personnel always usurps incoming personnel in college basketball. And we're seeing that right now. A perfect example, this brings us back to Kentucky with the way that Kentucky is trying to restructure its roster because they need it to get older and they need to get more skilled. No, it's a really good point. And what Kentucky lacked last year was shooting and a lead guard that can create Askew was supposed to be in high school. And he didn't pan out. He's now at Texas. So we could hit on Chris Beard. And Texas in a little bit, but can this can Calipari make this roster work? Oscar Shibway come in from West Virginia, maybe kind of considered soft, and that's why Huggins and him didn't get along. I don't know if you have any intel there, but you get Grady from Davidson, a pretty good shooter. Wheeler, obviously, like you mentioned, George in Kentucky, not really comparable in terms of maybe projecting what he could do with the Wildcats, kind of looking at his stats from last year. But is this a roster now that looks like a team that can not only contend in the SEC like you hit on, but can also make a run in March? Well, you know, I think anytime you know, you're having a John Calipari team, you're going to know that they have a coach who has always been very effective at putting together a team on short notice. It's very rare that John Calipari really for over a decade now has had the same type of team for two seasons. The roster, though, is going to obviously be unique, in my opinion, because as you know, Cal's going to say this, you know, he always says it, you know, in the summer, like he's going to say, like, we're going to have to figure out how we're going to play. Now, think back to Cal's first team at Kentucky. It was Wall and it was Bledsoe in the backcourt. Now, Xavier Wheeler and Ty Ty Washington are not Wall and Bledsoe and shouldn't be expected to be those types of playmakers. But do they play those two players together? Do they play one and then have Kellen Grady on a wing and C.J. Frederick on a wing? Now, this all sounds good, but I want to remind people about the players that those guys are going to be going against because, you know, Kellen Grady had a very, very good career at Davidson. His team didn't advance to the finals of the Atlantic 10 tournament. Wasn't near an at-large bid for the NCAA tournament. C.J. Frederick was a key piece on Iowa – Again, great assist-to-turnover ratio, very good defensive player, could make shots. But you look at Iowa's roster last year, who was a two-seed. The best player was Luca Garza. The second-best player was Joe Wieskamp. So how are all these pieces going to fit? And then how are those pieces going to stack up against the rest of the SEC? And I remember vividly when I started out in this business, and you know, you guys know I am – an avid traveler and I'm an avid person who likes to be in practices. I've always value time being in the gym in the preseason over so much in this profession, because that's where you really see with your own eyes who can do what. And I remember an assistant coach at the time who's now been a very successful mid-major head coach told me when you watch our team, don't look at what we're doing against each other. Tell me what they do against other teams in our league because that's what the barometer is going to be. So if Kentucky has Wheeler, Grady, and Frederick as their one, two, and three, they're old, they're experienced, they have shot making. But again, they're going to be going against Davison, Quinterly, and Shackelford. They're going to be going against Pinson, Adam Miller, and Mwani Wilkinson. They're going to be going against a grad transfer for Auburn, Alan Flanagan, and either Devin Cambridge or Jalen Williams. So we need to always remember that when we're evaluating our teams. 
John, Eli mentioned Texas. I want to turn yeah. to them for a bit because you've been talking a lot about roster construction, which I think yeah. is valuable at this point in the in the year. Obviously, a new coach with Chris Beard. I think most people would consider that an upgrade. A lot of transfers. When you look at Texas right now, what are you seeing with them? A top 20 team, a team that has done a tremendous job with this new wave of recruiting and the transfer portal. And Chris Beard has always done that. He's always been comfortable operating, you know, for with a team that's really based to play in one year's time. But again, we've got to look at a couple of things here. Devin Askew, who's probably, you know, going to be, you know, a, I expect him to be a primary facilitator for them. I know they have Courtney Ramey and Andrew Jones as well, but he's going to play a big role. He wasn't ready last year at Kentucky to have the Wildcats be even a 500 team. So before we automatically anoint Texas as a team that's, you know, creeping up to be one of the best in the country, Devin Askew needs to prove that he's capable of running a team that can win on a consistent basis. Now, Chris Beard could go through practice and give the ball to Courtney Ramey and, you know, opt to go in that direction. That's all going to come out in the wash. But before we see that, I don't know how you can anoint, you know, Texas to a certain level because the most important position on the floor is the point guard spot. And that's really not changing at all levels. And guys, a perfect example of that is Tiger Campbell and what Tiger Campbell did at UCLA. I mean, think back to the NCAA tournament and think back, okay, to what I thought was obviously UCLA's two most impressive victories, the Alabama game and the Michigan game. Alabama was a juggernaut offensively, but Tiger Campbell was able to control the pace of the game. Alabama, before Alex Reese makes that shot to send it to regulation, only at 62 points before that three went in. And then let's think about the regional final. Michigan came in to the Elite Eight averaging 81.3 points per game in the NCAA tournament. They get 49. Part of it's great defense. Part of it is having a low turnover point guard that can control the game. And staying in the Big 12, Kansas gets Remy Martin, so you get that guard. You get Yusafu from Drake. People might not remember him last year in the Missouri Valley, but you probably remember him against Wichita State yep. having that big game in the first in the first four. So now you have a lead guard after losing Marcus Garrett. And let's be honest, Garrett, a very good on-ball defender, yeah. could get to the rim, but yeah. not a great shooter. And then you're bringing the other four guys back. You bring in Agbaji back. You're bringing Brown back. You're bringing McCormick back. You're likely bringing Jalen Wilson back. Does this team have the Bill Self feel to you, even though the continuity is there from a point guard-specific uh, standpoint that is going to get back to – making a run in the dance and and potentially a final four and winning it all? Well, you know, let's look at this right now, just you know, from a personnel perspective. You want to be really good at point guard. You want to be really good at center. Kansas is going to have Remy Martin and David McCormick. Now, Jalen Wilson and Ochai Agbaji are early entrants, you know, in the NBA draft process. You know, if one of them can come back, you have three all-conference caliber players Christian Brown is back. That's another proud veteran. You mentioned Yesifu. Dewan Howard, Harris, pretty capable contributor to the rotation. They've also, I think, you know, got some pretty quality reserves. Mitch Lightfoot's back for his ninth year of college basketball. And Bill Self's the coach. So right now, to me, Kansas clearly the team to beat in the Big 12 as long as they get either Wilson or Agbaji back. You know, with both of them back, I think, you know, right now I have them at number four in my top 45. And then I think when you split the atom a little bit deeper, 
an interesting thing in the Big 12, guys, and this is all part of, you know, what the Division One Council is going to meet on today as we're taping this, is, you know, what's going to happen with waivers for multiple-time transfers? Because, look, you know, we can talk this out, you know, the obviously the route that college basketball is going right now is immediate eligibility, and I understand it, you know, from a unification perspective of unifying the rules, but... You know, part of the reason why a lot of people, I think, were in favor of these rules, well, then you're going to eliminate waivers. And now all of a sudden we got a scenario where it looks like, you know, there's still going to be, you know, criteria for, you know, waivers for kids to get eligible. And that's going to, you know, definitely apply for undergraduates. And we'll see what it means, you know, later today for graduates. But, you know, that obviously relates directly to the Big 12 because that's going to affect James Akinjo at Baylor, who, again, got a blanket waiver last year to play at Arizona. So Baylor will be a different team in that conference if it has James Akinjo versus if it doesn't. John, obviously uh, Gonzaga is going to be, you know, dominant again. I'd be interested to know from your end, like, how do you evaluate a team like that, both now and as they go into the tournament? We know they're talented. We know they're going to, you know, steamroll through their conference. As an analyst, how, how do you look at a team like Gonzaga as they start to go into the NCAA tournament and face tougher teams? Well, we say you got to say first of all, what's their returning personnel? What's their experience? So right now, Gonzaga next year is going to have potentially, you know, and I'm expecting him to come back. But, you know, Drew Timmy's back. He's probably the preseason national player of the year. They're also going to have Andrew Nemhard back, who, as we know, you know, two years ago led Florida in minutes played and was a starter this year on obviously – you know, Gonzaga's team that went to the national championship game. So you have those guys back. You have Dominic Harris, Julian Strother, and Anton Watson back. That's a pretty good base and foundation right there. They've added then one of the best recruiting classes in the country with a guy who can be, you know, the number one pick in the 2022 NBA draft in Chet Holmgren. It really reminds me of Kristaps Porzingis and has that type of a game. Plus Hunter Salas, plus Nolan Hickman. So the combination of experience and youth, you know, gives me obviously the feeling that Gonzaga is going to be one of the best teams in the country. So I think when you look at the experience factor, that to me is the most important thing. If there was no Timmy, if there was no Nemhard, I would take more of a wait and see approach. So you were at that game. You were at the, just going back to the NCAA tournament, you were at Gonzaga UCLA, the shot from Jalen Suggs, Juzang, who could come back to the Bruins. And I was actually in a different place in the bubble. The bubble was unique. I was, you know, I was uh, I was at a different place in the bubble because we had to do some post game stuff. You were still obviously watching the game. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, in terms of comparing that moment to you've watched so many college basketball games in your time covering it and as a fan before that, where does that Sug shot rank for you? Even though you weren't at the at their actual arena. Well, you know, I felt when it went in that it was this generation's Christian Leitner shot. I thought that it was that epic just because of, you know, the way that it happened and the fact that you got to remember in the Duke-Kentucky game in 92, remember Sean Woods made that shot to give Kentucky the lead. But I do think this, because of the way the national championship game unfolded, I don't know if people are going to obviously refer to it in the same way we look at Leitner or Chris Jenkins or things like that because – it didn't ultimately lead to a national championship. And, you know, the dream and the goal of every coach is to be the, the one team that wins the, its last game. But I almost watched that game and watched the talent disparity between both teams. And I almost got more out of, like, UCLA's performance in a loss 
than I did out of Gonzaga in a win. And I think that, you know, leads to UCLA, you know, with or without Johnny Juzang being, you know, primed right now to start next season in the top five. And, you know, again, we were talking about it a little bit before, you know, just in terms of blue bloods, like it's really good for what we do. If UCLA isn't just nationally relevant, but is a top 10 team and has a chance to go deep into the NCAA tournament. And, you know, we're going to have conversations. I'm sure you guys are having it too about whether it's the G league or the overtime like league. And, you know, what does this mean for college basketball? You know, think about what we saw last year with Jalen green and Jonathan Kaminga and Dacian Nix. And obviously Jalen Johnson opted to get ready for his professional future. And the NCAA tournament didn't have Duke and Kentucky. Were you guys ever watching the NCAA tournament and saying to yourself, well, those guys didn't play in the NCAA tournament. We didn't have Duke or Kentucky. This really stinks. It was incredible. And you mentioned the Alabama UCLA game. I had money on Bama second half. They were in that game for, or they were covering the second half line yeah. for pretty much 18 minutes. It was an incredible game, even though lost a good amount of money in overtime when UCLA wins that game by double digits. Michigan UCLA, even though it was a low scoring college yeah. basketball right. game. The, the Baylor Arkansas game. You mentioned right. Williams having a, a big impact on Arkansas in the tournament. The the Arkansas Oral Roberts game. It was Max yeah. Asmus going off for for three rounds. It was it was fascinating. Well, to just think about too, and this is I think what's so so amazing. Illinois won a Big Ten championship, you know, one week in Indianapolis, and you know that's a major major high for a program professionally to win a Big Ten championship. And like with all due respect to Illinois. It's not Michigan, Michigan State, Indiana, or Ohio State. It's just not. And then think about this. This is how crazy it is. You know, a little over a week later, you lose and you're knocked out of the NCAA tournament. So you're here professionally. And then a little over a week later, you're down there. That's the NCAA tournament. Yeah. I want to get into the Big Ten for a little bit, too. You mentioned Indiana. Mike Woodson, he goes to his alma mater, the coach there. They get the pit transfer at the point guard spot. And you're bringing back Trace Jackson Davis, who, if you can maybe start to finish at the rim consistently and help win Tom and I some money, uh, would yeah. be <laughs> one of the best players in college basketball and, of course, in the conference. Purdue, you mentioned continuity in college basketball. Yeah. They're bringing everybody back, and you would expect yeah. Trayvon Williams is coming back. Yeah. Michigan has the number one ranked recruiting class in college basketball. Ohio State gets Wheeler, the point guard transfer from Penn State. Yeah. Who is the best team in this conference to you heading into next season? Like you mentioned, waiver aside. We're not going to know officially just because, you know, until July 7th. You know, again, with Dwayne Washington and EJ Liddell back, I would take Ohio State. You look, obviously, at other circumstances, you know, in the Big Ten. I I would go Ohio State, Purdue, Michigan, Maryland as my top four. And then, you know, as we look at other teams in the conference, obviously, you know, we're expecting Michigan State to have a little bit of a bounce back season. And, you know, Indiana to me is unique because I think there is, and this isn't obviously to disparage, you know, anybody obviously who is coaching there. Because, I mean, Tom Crean did obviously, you know, a great job there. And Archie Miller would have made the tournament, you know, a year ago if it wasn't canceled due to COVID-19. But... I think like we're seeing and like we saw when Fred Hoiberg went to Iowa State a little over 10 years ago, there was almost a feel-good feeling around the program because one of its own came back to coach. You're getting that feeling a little bit with Mike Woodson. And look, Indiana has added some proven players with Xavier Johnson, with Miller Kopp, but the biggest thing was retaining Trace Jackson Davis, who along with Hunter Dickinson would be the preseason favorite 
to be Big Ten player of the year in the preseason. And look, I think Indiana's a team that should feel like it has a good chance to finish in the top half of the Big Ten. And then also that would mean that they would be in position to make the NCAA tournament. I think I have Indiana slotted right now somewhere in the low 30s. And guys, you know, I also think when you look at some of the turnover at the back end of this conference, Iowa loses Luca Garza. We'll see what happens with Joe Wieskamp. That's obviously something big to follow. Penn State and Minnesota have new coaches. So you look at some other teams in this conference. You know, Northwestern was a team, remember, that started out 3-0 and in Big Ten play, beat Michigan State, beat Ohio State. They're going to bring back Boo Booey. They are going to bring back Chase Audige. Ty Berry should be in a starting role. Ryan Young, Robbie Barron, and also Pete Nance are guys that have a lot of miles on the tires. This is a team, again, much like we saw in 16-17, that is set up to be, if it's ever going to happen, a middle-of-the-pack team in the Big Ten. Let's look right now at Nebraska. Nobody's talking about this. We love to talk recruiting. Nebraska has a five-star recruit coming in in Bryce McGowans, who, again, was initially committed to Florida State. He joins the perimeter that has Delano Banton and also Trey McGowans. Latman is back as a stretch four. And also, you know, Derek Walker proved towards the end of last season that he was a pretty good utility guy. He'll be on my list of 10 or 12 blue guys to watch to start next season. So for these teams, the teams that have been really, I think, you know, competitive in spurts, but just dealing with the gauntlet that is the Big Ten, you have an opportunity right now to be in a situation where you obviously think you have a chance to make a run towards the middle of the league. And I mean, like, let's look at it. You know, we spoke about Northwestern's wins. Nebraska was very good at the end of last season, you know, without Teddy Allen. Looks like maybe some addition by subtraction there. They're getting a five-star guy. And look, Illinois is going to remake its roster. They're going to have Andre Corbello at the point of attack. But, you know, how good are they now without Io and Kofi? Can they sustain success? There's a lot of interesting dynamics in this league. And I think, you know, if you're a team, in this league that has struggled to make a jump because, you know, Jim Calhoun told me this a long time ago when I started out in this business, he said, if you're trying to make a jump in a conference, that's really good. Somebody else has to take a step back. You're looking at a rebuilding type situation at Penn state and Minnesota. Iowa obviously isn't probably going to be as formidable as it was with Luca Garza. So you look at the rest of the big 10, Illinois is going to have a potential American in court Curbelo. They lose the best, one-two punch in college basketball. Wisconsin loses a lot. The style is there. The system is there. Low turnovers, no fouls. But what do the Badgers look like next season? I mean, there's a lot of interesting things, I think, happening in the Big Ten once we get past the top six or seven teams. Well, and we'll get to see maybe some people complain about Brad Davison a little bit, too. Uh, once we get to conference play, I think Bohannon's back at Iowa, so that'll make for another fun matchup. But college basketball aside, I say the best for last, I guess, food-wise, because I see you yep. tweet about it all the time. How good are the wings over at Bar Coastal? The wings are incredible at Bar Coastal. The sauce carries way is off the menu. But the sleeper thing right now on the menu, and not a lot of people know about are the sweet potato waffle fries. They're to die for. I usually have two orders when I go for one sitting. And if you're looking for a healthy option, they have just added celery and guac. I'll keep that in mind. And Tom will too when he comes to see me, whether he likes it or not. Thanks for joining us today on the Beck U podcast, John. Thanks Great to be with you guys. Odyssey is your home for all the sports you love. 
all the baseball. Go beyond the diamond with in-depth coverage of your favorite team. The top sports stations across the country have exclusive team interviews, game coverage, and predictions for the 2021 season from local team insiders. Check out Big Time Baseball, an Odyssey original podcast, and fuel your fandom only on Odyssey. All the baseball you love. It's all here, live and on demand. A-U-D-A-C-Y. Odyssey. So, Tom, the people want to know, will you be making the four-hour trek over to downtown New York? Uh, well, the, the chicken parm pizza, uh, that, that it's intriguing. It, it is. But uh, I, I don't know. You know, there's two things I don't like to do. Leave the house and drive. So it's, uh, I don't know if we'll make it this time. I, I'd rather just fly out to Chicago sometime and see it and stay for a couple of days. It's, uh, you haven't lived, you had me there for a couple of days. That's true. That's true. I'm still waiting. We still got to do a weightlifting competition of some sort. Oh, you got, listen, I, I just got the 75 pound dumbbells in. Uh, my son bet me I couldn't do them. I embarrassed him. I did them 17 times. In the last few, I stopped breathing and looked over at him just to intimidate him. We're overdue for about 40 shirts, that QLU shirts to give away, which I'll put on Tom and kind of myself. Let me tell you myself. That is the worst money I've ever spent. Sometimes, luckily, my two kids are a lot smarter than me. Sometimes I'm a little reactionary. If you know, if you can't tell, if you follow me on Twitter, oh, I know. So yeah, I uh, so I thought it would be a great idea to get all these shirts, and I didn't think, hey, you have to send all these out. So <laughs> the I still got a box of shirts. Uh, if anyone wants one, distant future, just very very distant future. That is Tom Casali at the Tom Casali on Twitter. I'm Eli Herskovich. Thanks for checking out and listening to. As always. The BetQLU podcast. Thanks to John Rostin for joining us. Five-star rating and a review. Just search BetQLU. And we'll be back on sometime soon this summer.